Hello and welcome to Kes Talks, talks for our times from the Keswick Convention. This week we're making available to you all the talks from Virtually Keswick Convention. The online event held in 2020 in place of the annual summer convention in Keswick. This means you can easily catch up on any of the talks that you might have missed. This episode brings you the fourth evening celebration of the week by Graham Daniels on Titus 2. Simon was 32 years of age. He'd been a footballer since he was 16, and he thought he'd been a Christian since he was 15. He was a pretty new club. He'd been there a little while, and they were on their way to a game on the team bus, and a discussion, unusual in football, began about religion. He jumped in thinking, oh, this is good. I like this conversation. And he jumped in defending the Christian faith. And then, then somebody turned to him and said, hey, Sai, what are you batting for the religious thing for? And he said, because I'm a Christian. And he was really earnest. And somebody laughed at him. But they didn't laugh to make fun of Christianity. It was a w- much worse. It hurt. They laughed that he could claim to be a Christian. He said, why? What are you laughing for? And the person said, not the way you live. You can't be a Christian. He was mortified. And here's the thing. He should be mortified according to Titus chapter 2. In chapter 2 and verse 5 of Paul's letter to Titus, he says that people should live in such a way that no one will malign the word of God. People were maligning the word of God because of Steve. Now here's the context. Paul writes to Titus and sends him to the island of Crete because there were a lot of people in Crete who were like Simon. They're not taking the Christian message and turning it into some kind of coherent lifestyle that fits the wonder of the Christian message. And so what Paul asked Titus to do is to go to Crete, teach the truth of Christianity so that it changes lives properly and to find the right people he teaches that too to lead churches. Now you might say for goodness sake what's that going to have to do with me? Well I think two things. One if you'd say I'm a Christian then in this next few minutes the question is are you sure that what you're being taught or teaching aligns to what it looks like to live for Christ in a way that people can't malign the word of God. If you're not a Christian, you're thinking, right, what would it look like for me to be a Christian in such a way that people see Christianity alive and good, not ugly? That's what we're up to. This is about the priority of godliness. At the very start of this letter in chapter one and the first line, Paul drives it home. He says, I want people in Crete to grow in faith by the knowledge of the truth. They want to know the gospel of Jesus in such a way that it leads to godliness. Knowledge of the truth leads to godliness. Coherent. At the beginning of chapter two that we're in today, he says that Titus must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. If you teach the truth, the sound doctrine properly, What is the appropriate behaviour? It should follow. And I'll tell you what it shouldn't be like. Simon. Simon's all over Crete. Let's fix it. Simon's, I'm in Cambridge, all over Cambridge. Let's fix it. Simon's where you are. All over the place. How do we fix it? 
That's what we're going to explore. So if the priority of godliness is in Paul's mind here as our first point, let's go to our second point, the practice of godliness. What Paul does in chapter 2, verses 2 through 10, is that he highlights five very specific groups of people, older men, younger men, older women, younger women, and people in their workplace. He highlights those people and talks very specifically about what godliness would look like for them. Our focus today has to be on verses 11 to 14. But to get the context of 11 to 14, I do need to highlight the last line of chapter 2, verses 2 to 10, after examples for the lives of all those five constituent parts. Paul writes to Titus right at the end in verse 10, that for these people, these five groups of people, in every way, their lives should make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Attractive. And the root word is cosmetic from which we get the word looking attractive. Now, as you may see, I haven't got any makeup on today. Uh, and so the cosmetics aren't helping me. And obviously, particularly attractive to look at. But listen to my words. Don't worry about my face. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Paul says the priority is godliness. Titus, go to Crete. Find people. Teach them. That if you teach the Christian message and it doesn't lead to godly lives, there's something wrong with the message. And when you find those people who get it, give them leadership roles. Get the church sorted. And then the second thing we've looked at is the practice of godliness. He gives lists and lists of things that people should look like if Christ lives in them. And in doing it, his summary is that they should make the teaching about God our saviour attractive. The practice of Christian living should translate into a life where people say, I like what I see. I like her standards. I like her ethics. I like her behaviour. I like her manner. I like her ways. I like her selflessness. Simon was so hurt. He was so hurt on that bus. He needed somebody to help him to understand real Christianity. Because if he could understand real Christianity, what the real Christian message was, then he could live a life of godliness. But as we come to our third and longest part of this talk, we've moved from the priority of godliness to the practice of godliness. And now we focus for the rest of the talk on the power of godliness. Because you might be listening to this and saying, hey, hey, whoa, stop right there. There, listen... I fail all the time. I know the Christian message, but if you lived inside me or by my house or next door to me or with me, you'd see all my failures. Hey, it doesn't say the power of perfection. It says the power of godliness. What does it look like to let the Christian message change you from the inside out? That's what we're going to spend the rest of the time looking at. As Titus is ensuring coherence between Christian teaching and lifestyle, I want to take you back to Simon again. Simon's still a coach. He's been in football for 45 years, professional football. If Simon was here now, he'd say, to understand the power of godliness, come with me. Come to the field with me. You may hate sport. Come with me. Come to the court. Come to the field. You need 360-degree vision. What's behind you? 
What's going on in the back four? What's going on in the defence? What's going on in my own half? What's going on in the attacking half? What can I see? Where's the ball? Where are the people? What's the shape of the game? Only when you can see what's behind, around and up there, up front, then you know where you stand and how to get on with the game. Sorry if you don't like sport. But you can see it, can't you? You can see that picture, can't you? Right. How does the power of godliness work? Three things. Here we go. Here's the first. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. Thank you, Simon. Let's look back. It has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Here's the first of three things that must be taught about Christianity if it is to lead to a life that is transformed by Jesus and is an authentic, godly life, even though we're not perfect. This is how it looks. We say, who has appeared in the past? Who was it? It was Christ who appeared. What did he appear to do to offer salvation to all people? Here's the first of three things we must know to have the power of God in our lives right now, transforming us. These are the truths. Number one, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on a cross. And when he died on a cross, he died to take the punishment for my rebellion against God. He died on my behalf. He crashed through the grave. He made me clean. He made me right with God. He paid the price I should pay. He liberated me from my bondage to enmity against God. All this happens at Calvary. That is the foundation of the Christian message. That's the truth that Titus needs to teach in Crete. And that's the truth that I need to teach today and you. And I need to hear it. And it offers salvation. Do you see it in verse 11? To all people. Don't you love it? Not some people. Not some people. Not just the right type of people. All people. Never negotiate for where the grace of God can go. Never negotiate it. Don't think she can't be a Christian. Now, if we can look back to the cross, we've got some bearings that happened in history. God appeared in Christ to do that. Okay, are we back? Thank you, coach. We're back on the field. We're looking which way to go now. Look forwards. Thank you, Paul. Verse 13. Look forwards to the perfecting of our salvation. If we look back to the beginning of our salvation at Calvary, we look forward to when it is perfected. When grace in the future, as well as grace in the past, becomes a reality. Let me read verse 13 to you. We wait for the blessed hope. Hope, that's our theme, isn't it, this week? Our hope. How shall we wait for our blessed hope? When we wait for the appearing, there it is again. He's appeared in the past. He appears in the future, in person. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back. The Jesus who died, who appeared, lived died, smashed death on our behalf, sent his spirit to live in us. He'll be back. Now get your shape in life. Now get your bearings in life. Who are you? Where do you come from? Where are you going? This is the revolution that's called the Christian gospel. And once you get to understand this gospel, and once you know the free gift of grace 
from Jesus Christ and his spirit in your heart. You have a vision for the future. Look at Jesus' vision for our future. Verse 14. Our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness. When he died on the cross, he saw our wickedness. He paid for our wickedness. He paid the penalty for it. And he said, you're free, man. You're free, woman, man, Welsh. Free, you're free. I freed you from slavery to wickedness. I freed you to live. I live in you now. He gave us a vision of redemption from the slavery of sin. He set us free from those terrible, terrible, selfish, driven, hopeless things that we despair about in ourselves. He comes to live in us and says, there's a better way, son. There's a better way, he says to me, live it. And so he redeems us from all wickedness and he can't stop Paul. Look at 13, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. You see, he's going to drive it home. Redemption, rescued from wickedness at Calvary. That's where I've come from. Where am I going? I'm going to be a guy who is totally free from sin. It'll never, ever trouble me when Jesus returns. What a hope is mine. And meanwhile, he wants to purify me. He wants to live in me. He wants my vision to be on that day. And he still doesn't stop, verse 14. He wants to purify for himself a people that are his very own. I'm his. Oh my word. He dies for me. He pays the price. He sets me free. He'll come back. He's at work purifying me. I'm his. He's mine. That's who I am. Who are you? I come from there. I'm going there. He lives in me now. That's who I am. And the last clause says he wants people who are purified and eager to do what is good. Don't sit around saying, I'm a Christian. I believe he died for me. I believe he beat death. I believe his spirit lives in me. I believe I'm going to see him one day. Not enough. Not enough. Listen to what Paul says. Eager to do. Eager to do what is good. Change the world. That's the brilliant hope of the Christian. Change the world in Crete, Titus. In Cambridge, in the world of sport, Daniels. Where's yours? Change the world by the power of Jesus. And that's why when you've got a picture of the world, what's the gospel? What he did? What he's going to do when he comes again? Right now, verse 12. Present grace. Right now, verse 12. It is God's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Right now. If we know the past and we have hope for the future, a certain hope that we will meet Christ and he'll be thrilled with the vision that we worked out in this life, then right now. Can you see how obvious it feels now? No, no to ungodliness. No, no. When I'm confronted with ungodliness, I say, but what has he done? I mean, what has he done to rescue me and liberate me? He has given his life for me and he lives in me. What is his plan for when I die or when he comes back? It's that he'll embrace me and say, Graham, good man. I lived in you. My grace purified you. You collaborated. You allowed me to work in you. You were eager to work out the plan I had for you. 
Higher, come here, my son. See, once you look 360 degrees around life like that, you think, I'm saying no. I can't live in such a way that I say, well, I'm a Christian and I don't care. You can't not care. It is the gospel that transforms the life of a human being for the glory of God. It has to work that way once the gospel is crystal clear. Right now, I'm going to choose Christ's way when it really counts. Well, friends, let's draw this in. What we then to look at tonight in the hope of the appearing of Jesus Christ is the priority of godliness. Paul, teach the Cretans, find the leaders of the churches in Crete who will teach clearly that the Christian gospel will lead to a lifestyle, a high caliber lifestyle. And so make sure, Paul, that people in Crete and Cambridge and Keswick, make sure that when you teach the gospel, they can stop themselves from being attractive, verse 10. It's very hard to malign them, verse 5. If that's the priority, and if the practice works like that, no maligning, godliness that is lovely to observe. The big deal tonight has been, what's the power for that? And the power for godliness is the gospel. That's why at Keswick we teach the gospel, the historic wonderful gospel of Christ as revealed in scripture. We know it saves us and it prepares us for the future and it gives us a vision for life and we are eager to live for Christ and by his power we will say no to ungodliness and yes to the things of Christ. That's who we are. That's what we're for. I can't go without telling you about Simon. He was 32 when he came into the story, wasn't he? Oh, listen, seriously. Lockdown just ended. I've got to tell you a story that took three weeks to unfold, right in the middle of lockdown. Before I tell you it, let me tell you what happened to Simon. He was so despairing that he thought he was a Christian and people laughed at his claim. Such a gap between what even they understood about Christianity and his lifestyle that he tried to think of anyone he knew who was a Christian. And he remembered one guy who had sold him his pension as a young professional footballer. And whenever anyone talked about this guy, they said he was a Christian and he had a high bar and was deeply respected for his integrity and his manner. So he tracked the guy's number and phoned him up and said the story, told him the story. I try to talk about Christianity. I think I'm a Christian. They laughed because of the way I live. What do I do? And the man said to him, where do you live? I know somebody in your city. I'll introduce you. I'll put you in touch with each other. You two have a chat. He'll explain the Christian gospel to you. At 32 years of age, Simon heard the Christian gospel clearly for the first time in his life. What Christ had done for him how Christ had paid his penalty, how Christ had liberated him, set him free, how Christ would return 
for him one day and what that meant for a vision for life now to live in a way where Christ was at the centre transforming his life in football. He says he got converted to Christ in those couple of weeks. Lockdown. Week one. Whole bunch of professional footballers coming to a Zoom meeting because no one's at work. Many have never met each other, so people are introducing themselves to each other in the call. One young man says this. Well, I started getting interested in Christianity when I played for a certain club. And the academy manager was called Simon. This was three years ago, says the boy. Simon was a marvellous coach, but more than that, he was an incredible guy. He had the highest professional standards for us and for himself, but you knew, you knew he oozed integrity. He was a great guy. And somebody said to me, he's a Christian, your coach. I asked Simon about Jesus. Oh, I asked him about Christianity, he says. And he helped me to understand the Christian message. It's changed my life for the last three years. I'm telling you now, I am telling you now, the following week, somebody else joined the call, 20 or 30 boys in, new boys say something about themselves. You know what's coming, don't you? Well, five years ago, I was an apprentice at such and such a club. And the head of the academy was called Simon. Same guy, same story, same vibrancy, same linking of the message of Jesus to the behaviour of the Christian. And I'm not exaggerating. I know, I know. Preachers exaggerate, I know. But I'm not exaggerating. It was a hat-trick. Perfect for sport. It was a hat-trick. Third <laughs> week. A boy comes to the call and, and he, it was different this time. He says, hiya, hiya. Two or three lads. They said, how's Simon getting on? And I went, no way. Yes way. It was Simon's contact. 25-year-old boy comes through the apprenticeship, 16, 17, 18, 20-year-old, met Christ. Because he thought the way Simon carried the gospel was attractive. Isn't it marvellous? In professional football. In the little world I work in, people meet in Christ. Because the gospel was taught to Simon. And he could not stop but live with Christ at the centre. And of course, the impact on the world he works in goes on. It goes on. And people meet Christ. So what is our hope? Christ alone. Christ alone is our hope. The Christ who died for us and smashed death. The Christ who will return to own us on that final day. The Christ who lives in us right now. Right now. Christ lives in us. This is the gospel. This is the great hope and presence and power. And this is what changes the life of a person who knows Christ personally and makes the gospel attractive. What is our hope tonight? Oh, easy. May I know your power to live. Lord, may your godliness flood through me. May the attraction of Jesus who lives in me 
reach people for himself and give me life today. May it be so, Lord. May it be so, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. Talks from Virtually Keswick Convention are all being made available through Kes Talks. You can access them through iTunes and Spotify, as well as your favourite podcasting apps. You can also watch the sessions via the Keswick Convention YouTube channel or by visiting the Virtually Keswick website at vkc.keswickministries.org.